Thanks for joining us for another episode of Beyond Prisons. This is your host, Brian Sonnenstein. Today's episode features a conversation on the prison strike between myself, my co-host Kim Wilson, and our good friend and producer Jared Ware. We recorded this conversation in the midst of the strike on August 30th, and we touch on everything from organizing to media coverage and more, and we're really excited to share it with you today. Just a friendly reminder to please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at beyond underscore prison, and we're also on Facebook. And if you appreciate our work, please chip in a few dollars a month at patreon.com slash beyondprisons to support the show. Thank you so much. Here's the episode. Today we have myself, Brian. We have Kim Wilson. Hi, Kim. Hey, Brian. Hey, Jay. Uh, And we have our old friend, Jay Ware. How's it going, Jay? Good. How are you guys doing? Good. We are uh, here today to do another episode, and I think we're going to talk about the prison strike and sort of get uh, some updates from Jay. Um, Jay has been working closely with the organizers um, and has been helping get word out about the strike and get some updates and perspectives from him and then just kind of have a conversation. Um, uh, So, yeah, I mean, I think we should just jump into it. Jay, why don't you start off and just sort of, uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast have probably heard about the prison strike, but maybe now that you've like spent some time talking to journalists and talking to other people about it, like what is like in your mind, like the best way to present what's going on to people? Um, Like what, what really stands out to you and what, what, what do we mean when we talk about like the prison strike? Yeah, so the prison strike started on August 21st. It was announced back in late April, um, about a week after the violence that happened at Lee Correctional Institution in South Carolina, um, where there were seven lives lost, which was the the deadliest incident of prison violence since the Lucasville uprising um, back in 1993. Um, so um the the prisoners that kind of um that organize this really as as the sort of the central organizers of it um our jailhouse lawyers speak um which is an organization that uh we've had on the show before that um you know I've interviewed probably a half a dozen times over the last couple of years um they asked me to serve as a kind of media liaison because of all of my experience um interviewing them they felt like i had um that i could adequately relay their their message and their um their general outlook i guess on these issues right um and obviously i do not speak for them but i try my best to sort of think through the way that they would respond to things when questions are asked um so the, the the there's a set of 10 demands that they put out at a national level which was a difference from 2016 where there was just really the sort of organizing framework of of prison slavery um and where prisoners could have their own local demands um in this case some prisoners do have their own local demands and that's like an approved thing basically from JLS but um they they also had wanted to have a set of national demands because they felt like those 10 issues um, that they're raising there 
would really make a difference in um, basically like they see the violence of Lee as like this manifestation of the dehumanization of prisoners, you know, um, of, of the, the violence of the system um, just sort of pushing people in against each other. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's some things that they get into with Lee, which are very specific and um, sort of directed indictments of the activity of uh, prison officials there, um, you know, partly in terms of not making any attempt to stop the violence once it started, um, but also just in terms of interesting tactics for people um, to hear on the outside of how prison officials create divisive environments inside and um, attempt to um, whenever there's a prisoner who is able to hold a political education course, for instance, and have a whole group of prisoners interested in what they have to say across racial lines, across different street organization or gang lines, um, whenever a prison official sees something like that, they're afraid of it and they try to break that up. They they don't want to see prisoners um, able to even sit in the same room together comfortably. Um, and so, you know, and, and in part of that with Lee was about like them transferring in prisoners that they knew had beefs with one another, um, those kinds of things. So those sort of things happen in prisons all the time. Um, but to JLS, it's just a combination of one, like human rights concerns, basically, of, um, you know, Wages is a part of it, but it's actually a part that's been, I think, overreported in the coverage. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with um, their ability to actually, I mean, the litigation, prison litigation reform act is really important. A lot of people don't mm -hmm. know what that is, but it prevents prisoners from filing most lawsuits against the state for treatment and inhumane things. Um, and forces them to work within internal grievance systems within prisons, which are, you know, the way that people should imagine that they are. They're horrible yeah, right. and you're, you're filing grievances to people who are officials that are working within the prison that's, you know, repressing you. Um, and, you know, in addition to that, it's like really basic stuff, right? Like access to education programs, access to rehabilitation programs, meaning like rehabilitation to get out into society but also meaning like drug rehabilitation there's a mm -hmm. lot of prisoners that have addiction issues and have substances flooding into their prisons from you know from prison guards right and so um that it's all of those things um but it's also um you know they're interested in voting they're interested in uh getting prisoners behind the idea that they can organize as a class and that they can advocate for their own issues and for issues that impact them and their families. Um, so it's a, it's a very comprehensive platform. It's also not, you know, a lot of people that I've talked to also feel like um, it's not a super radical platform. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a platform that they don't in, expect to be achieved by September 9th when this is over. They expect it just to continue on as something that they're struggling for. Um, but it is a platform that I think most like solid reform organizations are behind at least like nine out of the 10 demands, right. um, you know? And so I think the difference and actually 
uh, Janos Morton from the ACLU wrote a pretty good blog about this, um, is that like reform organizations tend to advocate like one of these things at a time. Um, and JLS is saying like, no, this is a, this is a platform that we need to push forward, which I think makes a lot of sense because when you look at the laws that are created that, that create these horrible mass incarceration, you know, policies, they're always like these big omnibus crime bills and stuff like that, that, you know, are just full of all types of legislation that's going to, you know, make the system worse. And so I think it makes sense that um, we start pushing agendas to attack it through whole sets of new platforms, whole sets of new policies. Thanks for um, that. And yeah, I guess the other part to talk about is like, what does participation look like? What does the strike look like right now? Um, you know, so I think what's interesting in this is that there's obviously a lot of challenges um, in reporting. Um, you know, there's challenges on the activist end that I see working with them on confirming stuff too. Um, and there's actually a lot of activity that has been like reported or uncovered by activists that they haven't they haven't listed as confirmed prison strike activity just because they don't want to they don't want to just release things on on hearsay or on um on rumor or suggestion mm -hmm. or secondhand knowledge um they're interested in actually um when they say a prison is participating in the prison strike um, you know, they want to have a pretty good degree of certainty for a variety of reasons, one of which is that they don't want to put prisoners at risk in that facility um, of, like, repression from the, the state that they're in if they're not participating in the prison strike, too. Um, so there's a lot of difficult stuff around that. But, you know, in general, like, the last count I had, it's up close to, like, 12 to 13 states um and then there's there's still strike activity going on in canada as well um which is interesting because it's like even from like the national lawyers guild you know does some defense work and some support for the prison strike and you know like we have to figure out how do we get support work for people in canada <laughs> because they're not they're not in the u.s um but that um you know i mean there's Palestinian prisoners that have done statements of solidarity, um, you know, there's, so it's, it's really, there's people all over the U.S. and all over the globe that are doing solidarity rallies about these issues that are um, holding rallies in front of prisons and jails and detention centers. Um, there's the large, pretty large hunger strike that's going on at the immigrant detention center in um in Washington, in Tacoma, Washington, um, which has been a hotbed of resistance activity for quite some time anyway, but they are doing a, that in solidarity with the prison strike, which I think is really great because JLS also offered a statement of solidarity to people resisting ICE earlier this year mm -hmm. um, and was explicit in their platform of demands that their demands applied to all people who are confined in the United States. So it didn't matter to them whether they were in immigrant detention or, you know, women's prisons, juvenile prisons, juvenile detention centers. Um, you know, they really look at it as a set of demands that they're trying to advocate for all people, jails, you know, that are confined. Um, 
So, you know, in terms of, I'm not going to get into like naming specific states and specific prisons. There's, there's a lot of prisons in the South that activity has been reported at. Um, you know, there's some in the Midwest, there's some on the West, um, not a lot in like the Northeast. Um, so there's like pockets of the country where it doesn't seem to have reached that much. Um, and that's not surprising to pull something together like this in, you know, basically four months is, you know, almost an impossible task for prisoners that are working to organize this themselves inside, um, even with some support from outside groups. Um, there's a ton of solidarity too. I mean, there's been there's over 300 groups, organizations, and chapters that have signed on in solidarity to the prison strike, um, mm. which we didn't have anything like that in 2016. I've started to see a number of union chapters around the U.S. start to um, kick in statements of solidarity. Um, so that's really cool to see um, the movement. It's definitely moving beyond kind of like in 2016, I feel like it was us. It was the prison abolitionists, right, that were talking about this when mm-hmm. it was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely still, I think, you know, the people who are most closely involved again um, are prison abolitionists. But um, it's a moment that is being um, shared and talked about and discussed in all different spaces within the U.S., um, Al Sharpton ran a piece on MSNBC last Saturday about it. And I was floored just because I didn't know MSNBC was allowed to do anything except right. profit off of prisoners. So, um, so <laughs> you know, well, let's, there's, you covered a lot there. Um, yeah. I think, we, I think we can start to unpack some of that. Um, For sure. You know, one of the things, uh, you know, when you're talking about participation, I think one of the things that is important uh, for us to talk about is literally like how people are participating and mm-hmm. yeah. and how that, you know, translates in our into our ability to see what's going on from the outside, but also like what that means, uh, you know, also like compared to 2016, what it means in terms of people on the inside, their ability to participate uh, and their ability to like take part in this action, um, you know, it's not just work stoppages this time, right? right. We have yeah. uh, people engaging in hunger strikes and boycotts. Um, you know, boycotts, which are obviously very hard. They're they're not something you can really see, right? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, you know, with hunger strikes, you know, there's all sorts of transparency issues there too. You know, having to deal with you know, even how prisons classify what a hunger strike is, you know? Correct. Um, and, uh, and I wonder, like, you know, do you have anything you want to, like, talk about there or, like, you too, Kim, like, you know, about, yeah. um, you know, maybe, like, you know, one thing I'm interested in is how, you know, it seems this time that the organizers on the inside, like JLS, they put a lot of thought into, like, you know, sort of meeting incarcerated, other incarcerated people where they're at and thinking about, like, you know, what kinds of risks can we ask people to take that they're going to feel comfortable with in, in the context that they're in, because prisoners are not all in the same situation, right? right? Um, absolutely. So I don't know anything you want to say about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think there's two really interesting schools of thought being married in this um, prison strike from in terms of inside organizing. Um, and one actually is, again, 
um, even though Alabama has not been a state that has been reported to be involved, but um, that doesn't mean that they're not, but it just hasn't been reported or confirmed at this point. But, um, you know, Ben, you, Hannibal Ross, son of the Free Alabama Movement, authored this collection of pieces starting in the beginning of this year, um, maybe end of last year, um, called Redistribute the Pain, um, or the campaign to redistribute the pain. And in that, he, you know, he not only lays out this very interesting analysis of um, the 13th Amendment and, you know, referring to it as the amendment that nationalized slavery, um, but he also, within that, um, talks about different ways to economically impact prisons. Um, and a lot of what he calls for within it is these sets of different types of boycotts, um, boycotting canteen, uh, boycotting the phone systems. He even calls for boycotting visitation because, um, you know, the idea that people have to spend a lot of money to arrange prison visits and all of that stuff, um, which is actually the one tactic that JLS explicitly says they don't endorse because they think that visitation is really important for prisoners um, and for their families. But that was part of Venue's platform. And so they've, they've endorsed that platform along with, um, with that exception, um, along with work strikes, along with hunger strikes, mm-hmm. um, and along with sit-ins. Um, and yeah, sit-ins too. The, yeah, and um, you know, the sense that what I hear from prisoners directly is that they think the largest component of it is boycott. They think right. that there are more prisoners boycotting than doing anything else. Well, that makes um, sense, right? Yeah, you know, in, in yeah, a way, and totally because because like you say, like you know, there there aren't policies in prisons against not spending your money. Thank God. <laughs> um, for, well, yeah, there right. They just got yeah, know, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, that'll be a policy you know. as of next week in every yeah. DOC in All the right, country. Cut that. Cut I know. That out of the- I know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's also why, honestly, I think that they're not like wages are really important to them, but it's also why wages is just a component of this because I think they also have a. a an understanding that, hey, like prisons could start to pay us more money and then they just extract it all back from us too. Right. Um, and well, they so, do that. you know. They already do that. And I think that this yeah. is a good opportunity to talk about that. I mean, um, there's there's just so much to talk about with this strike. And what I'm hoping yeah. we do with this conversation is, you know, um, one, contextualize it for people that, you know, um, haven't read all of the think pieces and hot takes that are out there um, and that are looking for, you know, to to get a grasp on what the strike is, but also to understand some of the nuances related to the strike. And you said something earlier, and I want us all to talk about this a little bit, um, is the significance that this is a prisoner-led movement that this was initiated by the work of incarcerated people um, and that, you know, the demands themselves reflect their politics and where they Mm -hmm. are in terms of, you know, what it is that they, that they want. 
um, and albeit, you know, not a radical or perfect document, um, the point is that you stake out the ground that, you know, you want. You mm -hmm. don't just, right. you know, say, well, let's just, this is the thing that we think we can get. Um, so I think that those things are important. So can we talk a little bit about why, you know, it's significant that this is a prisoner-led movement? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, I think it's super significant. Um, I think that actually it would be really problematic um, mm -hmm. if there was a, a a work strike being, you know, and this is part of the, this is one issue with coverage, and I'm not going to get into coverage too deeply right now, but I just want to say this, is that there has been a lot of coverage that has sort of implicated that the people on the outside are the people who are organizing this. And we've all tried, all of us, including IWALK, right, which does do some inside-outside organizing, like, we've all tried to push back on that narrative, but yet it is, it is part of, like, the paternalistic attitude of a lot of these journalists that sort of assume that prisoners can't organize something for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think that's that's really important for people to understand is that, like, literally, we're just trying to follow a lead and we're trying to relay what, um, as best we can, like, the message that we're getting from inside. And honestly, like, I would rather have prisoners relaying this message themselves directly. There's a lot of reasons strategically why there's two things at play there. There's a, there's a lot of reasons strategically why prisoners have cho chosen to do less of that this time. Um, and a lot of that has to do with how harshly uh, kinetic justice and venue Hannibal Rossan have been punished over the last mm. couple of years after yeah. 2016. Still being punished. Um, still being punished. Right. Absolutely. Um, but um, so they, they've made a tactical decision as strike leadership that like we can't put our face on this and mm -hmm. you know even putting our voice on it is really you know problematic um and so they're they're doing that for their own protection um and what's frustrating is that that's also creating this issue where where journalists when they have had the opportunity to interview some of these guys um have actually not printed their words because um you know, JLS has taken the stance that they're not going to give out the legal names of their members to reporters. Nor should they. Even, Nor should no, they. no, I don't think, I don't think that they should either. Absolutely. And I've made that argument many times, but, um, but I think that that's, that's something that, you know, the mainstream press, especially, um, is, is saying, you know, yeah. they can't, they can't print it. They can't give mm -hmm. enough credibility if that's I, the case. Mm -hmm. um, well, before we get and, into, critiques of the press. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I know. I, I want to get back to your question. Yes, yeah. and I will. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that the point, though, right, is that um, that this is absolutely prisoner-led, um, and it's unfortunate that their voices aren't out more right now for people to really see that, um, but there's reasons why that can't happen. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think that so, their voices um, are, are available to us in the forms that you just shared. So you said that uh, yeah. venue has written a number of things. Um, Khalid Rashid Johnson uh, published that essay. We have, you know, personal letters that we get from people inside yep. describing the conditions and to the extent that they have, you know, given us permission to share those things. Uh, we've shared them. Um, yep. And I think that, you know, there's, 
the prisoner's voice I printed, is yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, absolutely. I was going to say, I mean, Brian and I have printed a few thousand of their words this year, too. So, I yeah. mean, it's also, you know, there, there's, there's interviews out there with jailhouse lawyers speak mm -hmm. that explain in a great deal of detail and just, you know, really excellent analysis of their positions, um, why they're doing what they're doing what the rationale behind it is, what they're fighting for, like all of those things are out there. So um, it is all available. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the importance of it being prisoner led is that these are prisoner issues um, and that they're, you know, they're the ones that have to make the sacrifices and take the risks to bring this kind of protest forth. Um, so, you know, it would be problematic, I believe, if outside organizers were just agitating prisoners to do something um, and, you know, prisoners weren't making that decision for themselves on what mm -hmm. platform they mm -hmm. want to stand on and what they were doing and why they were doing it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So I, think, I think that, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Uh, I was just going to say, like, I think, you know, I, it's interesting to think about the, uh, I mean, I think it's, it's not only like important, but it's essential. I think it, which is also what you're saying that that prisoners are organizing um but what it what it brings to mind is like this tension between the inside and the outside because this is happening mm -hmm. you know at a time when uh you know people i guess sort of they have and they also think in a lot of ways that they've been talking about criminal justice reform for a long time right, right. like you know, a few right. years it's been on like yeah. the national consciousness there's movies coming out but like so much of what has been discussed and so much of what has been proposed has been, right. you know, things that are being proposed that we can do for prisoners, not like things Absolutely. that were, you know, they're not going out, you know, it, this is, this is a uh, sort of a unique this moment. Is their with their agenda. Them. Yeah. Right. And I think that that yeah. is like, that's huge, you know? And I think, Absolutely. Um, you know, to me, what this is, is like, is like them, you know, taking this opportunity to sort of seize back that that narrative that you know what people are talking about like uh you know like there's the whole like right on crime movement and it's all about i mean all all of that criminal justice reform is about making people on the outside feel better you know their their mm -hmm. conscience can be relieved you know that maybe they're they're showing a little charity towards incarcerated people and there's this caricature that you know is is being yeah. you is and being drawn from yeah and that's, I mean, that's the Absolutely. part that, you know, um, I find both fascinating, but also really, really freaking irritating Yeah. Um, right mm -hmm. now is, you know, and I said something earlier on Twitter about this, that, you know, the prison strike basically dispels notions that prisoners are, you know, um, not politically engaged. Uh, that they're, mm -hmm. you know, that they don't care about, you know, civil society, that they don't care about, you know, anything that's happening in the world or, you know, what have you, that they really are paying attention and no one has a better awareness or a better sense of what it is that prisoners need other than prisoners. Much of the conversation around reforms and particularly the people, high profile, you know, whether it's Hollywood elites or other, you know, it, people that have suddenly taken an interest in, you know, reforms in prison um, 
are occupying a great deal of space. Mm -hmm. And what the prison strike does is that it upsets that model. And it says the prisoners have something to say. They have thought about these issues. They live these issues every single day. And our job is basically to listen and to pay attention. Now, you know, we can talk about the media, you know, later on or what have you. But I think that really centering um, their demands and you touched on a few of them um, is really should be the core of the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I I think I agree. You go, Jack. Go. You. I was was just going to (laughs) say it's good to be back together, guys. Um, You're so excited. (laughs) Um, I was just going to say that, um, you know, so this is very intentional by the prisoners, right? Uh, They've been trying to really figure out over the past couple of years, this has been a a real annoyance of Mm -hmm. prisoners of, you know, these criminal justice reform organizations, quote unquote, prison reform organizations um, that do not value the voices of incarcerated people, um, do not, you know, include them, do not seek their advice or their insight. Um, and even they, them. you know, they, they, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But I mean, even like they'll talk about, you know, like former prisoners who sometimes become like, you know, these prominent sort of leaders of these organizations mm-hmm. um, get thrust into sort of these leadership roles, but then they won't look back, right? They won't, um, they'll just be used as like sort of a token, right, to speak on as a former prisoner, but they're not really um, offering solidarity back and trying to include people who are currently incarcerated in those conversations. Well, I mean, because Um, there's no, there's not much support for, you know, an abolition um, movement in prisons, you know, or uh, for prisons, we'll put it that way. Right. Um, yeah, for prisons. So, yeah. you know, reform organizations and, you know, the allure of becoming the public figure for prison reform, I think is really, you know, is really strong, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. you get you get a lot of it pays well and you get a lot of attention that you didn't have before and you get to have a platform and you know in some cases you get to start an organization and you get to have the ear of you know politicians and you get to have you know what is perceived as a seat at the table but oh god and we could talk about some examples, but that's not why we're here today. No. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. That's the thing. I mean, I think. But you think, brought it up, so thanks, yeah. Jay. <laughs> no, I mean, I think the yeah. thing that, especially for people who, um, you know, not only like ourselves who who consider ourselves abolitionists, but who have been like plugged into a movement and who have been, you know, listening to uh, and thinking with incarcerated people, I think mm-hmm. this this action and the demands and where it's coming from and the context it speaks to so much of this issue you know what i mean it, it like just touches everything um yeah and and i guess like the one the one last other thing that i want to throw in there is that you know the other thing about it being led by prisoners is that i think again like if you if you spend time you know speaking with people on the inside if you understand how prisons work you know 
the risk it takes just to even talk to your fellow incarcerated people about it, like to talk with people around you about it, to get something in the mail, to say, even, even mention this, like their, the existence of a strike, even to talk about it being in the news on the phone while your phone's being listened to by the prison system. Um, And I think, not only is it that risk that we need to think about, but I, to me, what I, at least what I hope and what I, what I think I'm, I'm seeing and, you know, what, what I'm looking for is whether this continues on the inside to like create a space where incarcerated people feel like, like they can, you know, speak out loudly about this because I think, you know, we've, um, I, I don't want to like go down a rabbit hole or anything, but like, we know that the prisons are in a lot of ways turning prisoners against each other to undermine these strike actions. They're using character units and privilege right. units and, and trying to basically undermine solidarity. And I think that becomes hard when um, it's no longer agreed upon that protest is not something that prisoners can do. You know, that, mm-hmm. that, right. that, that kind of speech and that kind of right to assembly and to organize is off limits in a prison, which I think as a nation, the fact that this nation has believed that and continues to believe that to this day, but that that is something that's just so orthodox, I think is insane. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, uh, I think that that to creating that space, I think is is another valuable part about prisoners leading that. Um, So, yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, I think that one of the most powerful lessons that I take away from Joe speak is, um, you know they're they're very much students of George Jackson, and mm-hmm. one of the one of the pieces that they that you know Brian's probably heard them say this quote before I have. Um, you know they love the settle your quarrels George Jackson quote, um, and mm-hmm. basically what that quote is about, right? Is it's about solidarity, and it is about this idea that even though prisoners are often aligned in like hyper confrontational groups, right? I mean, you can have, there's white supremacists in prison, right? There's there's bloods, there's crips, there's all of that exists. Like, to deny that that exists, mm-hmm. yeah, everything in between, you know? Um, and plenty of people that are not gang affiliated too, but like, there's just a lot of division, right? Um, and intentionally so, it is fostered by prison administrations. Um, but, to be able to get all of that division to come together around a campaign um, is that's what they're trying to push, right? Is that every one of those people has a vested interest as a prisoner in improving prisoner rights. Um, And, you know, that's how they achieve it is by stopping realizing that those things that divide them are not actually the things that make them each other's enemies, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that's that's a part of what JLS has said to me in recent interviews, um, which I think is a, is a, it's a tough lesson. It's, it's something like people have a really hard time with, I think, because there's a lot of those divisions on the outside that we can't get past, you know? Um, and I think that, um, you know, for prisons within that space, sometimes they have been able to, right? Like Attica, for as horrible as it ended, right, was this amazing example during the the organizing, you know, during those days when negotiations were happening of, you know, all kinds of prisoners coming together and mm-hmm. hashing out an agenda. Lucas um, too. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lucasville is another example, right? And so, you know, JLS doesn't have that platform. They're not looking for a a revolutionary, disruptive moment of the prison that ends in violence. Like that's not their goal. Um, but what they are looking for is that same level of solidarity. Um, you know, mm-hmm. in in protesting for what they they demand. Um, and so, you know, I think that that's that's a really important piece to draw out. And I think, I mean, to, to uh, drive that uh, point home, you know, that at the core of this is a, a, a decision, a conscious decision or a deliberate decision to build coalitions, right? Right. And to um, focus on, you know, what amounts to basically mutual survival here that if yep. you know through this you know through the strike through these demands that this is about everyone's survival right so mm-hmm. we yep. can talk about because i don't want to um i don't want to oversimplify the whole well we put aside our differences you know mm-hmm. sort of thing right. i think we, no, no, we need like a whole yeah. month of episodes for you know for that um conversation sure. but that you know it has been done strategically so that, yeah. you know, we can, um, so that we have the document that we have, you know, we have this, uh, these 10 demands in front of us and, um, and we have, you know, thousands of people that were unaware of, you know, uh, what was going on in prisons, um, talking about it now, even if some of them aren't yeah. talking about it very well or writing about it very well. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. I want to, um, I want to touch on something that I think is uh, related to this, um, to this whole conversation, because I think that another thing that the prison strike does is that it upsets the notion that this, uh, these horrible conditions are only happening in private prisons. And so Mm. much of the reform movement is deeply invested in, you know, getting rid of private prisons because they see private prisons as, you know, the evil thing that needs to get, you know, that we need to get rid of. Um, When in fact, many of the problems that are, you know, (laughs) that are happening are happening in state prisons and jails across the country as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, do either of you have something, you know, to say about that? Totally. Totally. I mean, the the one thing that I always, the one thing I always think about is that we forget why private prisons really came about and like what they were originally being used for and are still being used for on the state level which is basically as an overflow mechanism for uh, and like a, a budget budget reason uh, for state prison systems. And I think it's worth thinking about that, especially when we think about the fact that the reason why conditions are also so bad in private prisons isn't, I mean, it is because of the profit motive and all that stuff, but it's also because the state prison systems have zero interest in overseeing them and enforcing any kind of livable conditions. I mean, that is like, it is the, the ultimately where the buck stops is with the state prison systems, you know? And I think that, uh, you know, it's important to look at like the, around the time that like private prisons were coming about and states were signing more contracts, you like these prisons were, and it never really worked. It never relieved, you know, the overcrowding. The prisons stayed crowded on the state level 
Um, but it was just extra capacity, you know? And I think that like that speaks to how the states felt about what the, what the conditions were supposed to be like in these facilities they were contracting out for, you know, like when I think people think about private prisons, they think about like this company like shows up in town and like builds a prison and like sells it to the governor. And like, then they, they get to like run it and they get paid for it. Like nobody's in charge or like, there's no connection there between the corrections system, you know, with the connect the correction system. So I mean, that's just one that I, I just want to say that like when I think about yeah. this oversaturation of the issue of profit and private prisons, which, again, are important, um, but it mistakes right. like where they sit in the constellation, you know. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, you just have to look at like the percentage of like prisoners that are in private prisons in within now in the immigrant detention center, there's a center system there's a lot more that are in private mm-hmm. facilities it's, but uh, I within 70 percent uh, immigration yeah, detention right, center, yeah. and it's something like 10 percent for you know um other uh facilities so yeah 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 so i mean it's it's much it's a much higher percentage of that and again like part of it does absolutely have to do with what you're talking about brian about like these were built in a time when like the mass incarceration policies were just booming off the scale and prisons were filling up so fast that they had to build new prisons and for the state to build something and go through all their contracting processes and everything like that also takes time, you know, whereas a private company can throw something together much faster. You can subcontract it out. Like there's lots of reasons why, right. You know, that, that, that makes sense as a, why a state would be interested in that strategy. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, whenever I talk about conditions in prisons, I always have one or two people say to me, oh, are they in a private prison? You know, mm-hmm. and I'm always, my answer is always no, because honestly, I've, as, as long as I've been covering prisons, I don't actually think I've ever interviewed somebody that's from, a, that's in a private prison. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, so that gives you an idea that it's not, most prisoners are in public prisons. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and prisons are shitty across the board. Like, I think that, you know, I mean, when you talk about like, um, you know, issues, like the things that get brought up a lot in private prisons is like short staffing and this and that, um, that shit all happens in all prisons, you know, in state Um, prisons. I mean, every, pick up any newspaper on any given day in response to any kind of, you know, um, prisoner abuse or uprising yeah. or any kind of, you know, disturbance happening at a prison. And the official, you know, talking point is always that, you know, it's about um, it, they're short staffed and, you know, right. as if, right. you, you know, hire 10 times more you know, uh, corrections officers, that, that was going, that that's going to resolve the problem. What that's actually right. going to do is increase the, you know, um, repressive, you know, uh, arm of these prisons. And it's going to increase the surveillance mechanism, you know, um, that allows them to continue to do all of the horrible, harmful shit that it is that they do on every single day, of, you know, every single week of every single month of every single year. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I mean, it's shocking to me that 
people can both at the at, like at one in one moment be like private prisons are a problem and then also be like you know i'm fascinated by like what the Koch brothers are doing with criminal justice reform um i don't i don't understand like i i, I don't think people see all these things as like related you know they, they don't see them as connected and i think that one of the failures of um getting the word out um or you know, changing the narrative, right? Because a lot of what's been happening around, I think, reform is that reform has, it, reform has been normalized, right? Reforms have been normalized mm -hmm. in, in the conversation, in the consciousness, and people look at reforms as the thing that decent liberal people should be for, right? If you're a decent liberal, um, oh yeah, of course you're for prison reform, right? But beyond that, I really don't think that they know much about what's happening in prisons, period, or who's really involved in prisons. Like I, I really feel or believe um, based on what people say, <laughs> not just on social media, but the things right. that they're writing, um, <laughs> that they don't really have much of a clue about what's actually going on in prisons. And the best writings um, and the best work is coming out of, you know, or coming from uh, investigative journalists and people that take the time, right. you know, we can look at, you know, folks like Maya Shenwar, Victoria Law, or you, Brian, um, you, Jay, right. and uh, a lot of other people uh, who are, you know, have devoted that time. But a lot of it has also been obscured by the fact that much of the work on abolition has remained an academic exercise and that people mm -hmm. don't mm -hmm. have access, you know, to sage journals and they're not attending, you know, um, prison conferences where we're discussing, you know, prison abolition. They're just not. Right. Um, and that's something yeah. that, you know, for years as um, a former academic, um, I have been really upset about and have seen as, you know, um, one of the major problems in moving this conversation forward, um, that it, it just gets relegated to certain corners, right, of our society. Right. And it gives the impression that prison abolition is some kind of fringe movement with, you know, people that just don't care about society. Um, <laughs> do we want to um, shift gears and talk about how the media has been talking about this because we're already at an hour and I want to yeah. respect people's time. Okay. Um, yeah. So let's spend, um, let's spend a balance of the hour talking about how the media has been discussing the prison strike. Who wants to go first? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll just say, I want to say some things on that um, because I think like, I mean, obviously of the three of us, I think I've had the most personal interaction with reporters over the last mm -hmm. few weeks, even though they haven't necessarily printed a lot of my words, which I'm fine with. But um you know, I think that the, I think one of the things that has happened, there's a few things that are important to point out. One, there's way more coverage than there was in 2016. And I think prisoners are happy about that because they're seeing their demands go out 
to major publications that never discussed anything about this in 2016. New York Times has written about it, Washington Post, Guardian, you know, um, you know, most of the major players have come out in USA Today, all of that. So that's good. The hard part is that you also have a lot of people writing about prisons that have never written about prisons before, certainly never written about prisoners before, um, and even more, have absolutely never written anything about prisoner resistance before. Um, and so they have absolutely no context for what they're talking about. Um, and frankly, they end up making a fair amount of stuff up, it feels like, in a lot of their articles. Um, there's been so many of them that we on the sort of media relations side have struggled to like keep up to fact check everything um, that people have printed because, you know, they just, they'll print things that are just not coming from nowhere, you know, or coming from, sometimes they'll print things from like planning documents or, or pre-strike statements as though they're fact. Um, and then sometimes, and then, and then the other thing that happens, and this is something Brian and I have talked about quite a bit offline is like that most of these publications the the and this is not the journalist's fault this part it, they're under these deadlines um that they have to write this story in four hours or they have to write it in a day um and those are not realistic timelines to report a story like this if you actually want to break any information um and so what happens in that timeline is that we tell them things then they go ask the state. The state says, no, nothing's happening. And they print a synopsis that includes a little bit of conversation with us, a kind of, well, the state all says it's not happening. I don't know, it's really interesting. A lot of people are talking about it. Um, something like that. You know, that's like a version of a lot of the takes that we get. I expected coverage to not be good. Mm -hmm. So a part of it is that you know, we have an issue in our society on a mass scale that like people like to talk about mass incarceration, but they don't know how to talk about prisoners. They don't know how to report prisoners. Um, they don't, they're, they're dealing with editorial guidelines that prevent them from reporting the narratives of prisoners. Um, and, you know, and like, I met, alluded to before, like, if you really want to write a good story on this, it might take you, you know, two or three weeks to do the type of reporting you would need to actually come up with something. There's a good example right. is of all of the reporting I've seen, you know, there has only been one reporter that I am aware of that has broken a site, like has actually been, has actually named a site where a strike is happening before activists. So that tells you like we're as activists on the outside i can tell you that the activists outside are behind the prisoners significantly in terms of what's going on they're trying to catch up the reporters are then getting the information from the activists and then they're like fact checking it with the state which is like absurd because the state's just going to say no um and then you know and then they're just reporting it but like the point is that where are the investigative journalists in this you know what i mean i mean there's nobody that is digging into this that is spending 
even a couple days trying to um, get underneath beyond what the correspondence official says for the DOC um, to actually get to the truth because that person never tells the truth. Right. Um, and I think a lot so, of times you know, it, comes down, it comes down on being the organizer's fault that we have this incredibly opaque prison system that everybody's been fine with. And like few journalists have really tried to challenge in a lot of ways, um, you know, and like, I think that's where as journalists, like our frustration should be and where like where the pressure, right. pressure should be applied. And frankly, it's like super overdue. You know, like it shouldn't yeah. be acceptable. Uh, the just the Agreed. accepted last of tra transparency, accepted lack of. Yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, I think uh, you're both being very kind. Um. <laughs> I'm tired of I'm tired of trashing reporters. I really am. No, I mean it's. I, I don't think it's even about trashing reporters. I honestly think it's about you know taking people to task, and you know this is not. This isn't just a story, right? That this isn't just a story that we're dealing with people's lives here, and you know Absolutely. it. it I think it honestly takes more than just a few weeks. It may take three weeks to write a really good story about the strike. Yep. Um, but I think, you know, Brian has, you know, posted a number of uh, wonderful points on Twitter about, you know, how to write the, you know, how to write about prisons, right? And how to write about Absolutely. prisoners. And so have you, Jay, you've both, um, you know, been really active about, um, you know, doing that stuff. So yeah, the I think that the current arrangement of, you know, very quick deadlines and turnaround times, you know, to get whatever to print um, is only one part of the tension here. The other part is that we don't have people who care enough about this story to have invested the time before the strike to be able to write eloquently, articulately, yep articulately, I can say that, um, or <laughs> intelligently about the story. Yeah. And I don't think that that's no, trashing that's reporters. I think that that's, that's basically true. stating facts that, you know, there are very no, few people right. who know, you know, I mean, even just, you know, some of the simple language. I mean, the fact that people still use the word inmates grinds my damn gears, but it may be okay with other folks. They may think, oh, okay, that's no big deal. But that simple shift in language is something that, you know, um, critical resistance has been out in front of this. And their sure. toolkits are available if anybody bothers to Google them. And they've been around for yeah. years. Those things are not yeah. new. They weren't just developed last week. Um, and they do, you know, describe uh, the kind of language, you know, that's problematic and the language that should be used and what that means. And particularly it has to do with, you know, prisoner describes a person who is being held against their will. And it's about that mm -hmm. power relationship, which inmate does not describe, right? Inmate refers to people that were in mental institutions, right? So there's a whole mm -hmm. ableist um, component to just that language right there. But that seems to be what's happening. Every time I pull up a story, 
you know, it's like, oh, the inmates did this, the inmates did that, right? So it feeds into the way that people think about and imagine what's happening in prisons, but it also fuels who they think is a prisoner, right? Or who should be a prisoner. And I think that that's deeply problematic in terms of, you know, the reporting. And I'm, uh, to me, it's about accountability. To me, it's about accountability. No. If we're abolitionists, I feel like, you know, getting people to the point where they want to be accountable, um, but also holding them accountable when, they, when they're when they not. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think all of what you said is, is correct. Brian, can you say something about the, the reporting? Oh, yeah. Um, I... I... <laughs> I completely agree with you. I mean, you know, the obviously the biggest part of this is that the media, like, and I mean, I guess, especially if we're talking about like the mainstream media, the media that's reaching like the most people on this, they're incredibly unprepared um, in a lot of ways. And I mean, it's not like, like you said, Kim, like it's, it's the relationships, it's the language. I mean, like even, I mean, the the Marshall Project thing that they published, it's like even the premise that, that you could fact check participation in a prison strike three days into the strike, like, I mean, you you just, you can't. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what you think is going on here. Uh, there's just so many reasons why, like, there's a lot of unknowns, you know? And, uh, you know, so there's that issue. Um, and then there's the fundamental issue of, you know, who do you trust in this story? Um, I think, you know, Jay pointed out on Twitter, uh, you know, and obviously, you know, journalists have standards of, of fact checking things and verifying things that they need to um, adhere to. But I, I, I feel like you can the, the prejudice is there in their expectation that this is somehow different, both in the term in terms of like. Um, you know, we can, uh, we can question you and, and like not believe what you're saying and have to, you know, balance it against what the state is saying. Um, but also like, I don't have to, uh, you know, form a relationship of trust and, you know, in order to get you to tell me who you are. Um, and I think as journalists, like any other beat that you were working on, you know, like if you're working with like government whistleblowers or something, you're not going to expect them to just turn over their name. Right. But this is like, show me your papers. Like, who are you? You know, it's basically like they want to know, like, what were you convicted of? You know, like what you're in prison, you're incarcerated. Why should I trust you? Uh, and, and I mean, it's, it's there in the expectation to me, you know. Um, so I think that's a part of it, too. I, I just think that there's this idea and, and, and that that baffles me as well. I mean, again, getting back to the Marshall Project as an example um, you know, and this ties into what we we're talking about, criminal, criminal justice reform groups and sort of how uh, policy issues, um, you know, this is a platform as, a, as opposed to disparate um, issues. So like you have a criminal justice reform publication like the Marshall Project, and they're writing things about like, you know, maybe they're writing something about like uh, prosecutorial misconduct and like, or like overcharging or like, you know, these phenomenon that are treated as like disparate things in the system. And then they have the nerve to act as though, well, if somebody's in prison, then they must have done something bad and, and like they can't be trusted and there's some kind of a monster when like, you know, 
like you you started a publication around criminal justice reform like because you know there's something wrong here and part of knowing what's what's wrong here is knowing that two and a half million people didn't wind up on bars behind bars because you know they were all like monsters who are who are can't be trusted and you know what i mean like this caricature again um and so yeah, but I, just, I don't think yeah i i think that you know, more and more, I mean, in, in the the longer um an abolitionist um and the longer um around other abolitionists, um <laughs> the less satisfied I am with, you know, the reform um position because it really is it, it remains steeped in the dehumanization of mm-hmm people in prison Mm -hmm. and it remains steeped in a sort of you know racist tropes that have led to millions of people being you know black and brown people specifically being uh behind bars so um i'm not satisfied with um reform groups that, you know, publish a lot or, you know, <laughs> have a great deal of, um, have a large platform. We'll put it no, that way. Uh, reform not. groups that have a, you know, a large platform um, because they're not, necessarily, reform groups are not radical, right? Reform groups are not looking to radically transform the system. Reform groups are doing exactly what reform groups do, is to basically put their energy to keeping things exactly as they are. And that's what it is, you know, with a few minor changes here and there. But beyond that, that's not that's that's not the goal of reform groups. Reform groups are not abolitionists. Right. And what I'm getting at is like there's they but they have the perception of credibility popularly. Absolutely. Right. And and I think that this shows like this has been so like like I, I I'm hoping that for people this has been very instructive to like see how fake that credibility is or how like disconnected it is from the realities uh, of of like incarceration and people who experience incarceration on the inside and the outside like I you know what I mean like I think well, I, think I mean the I think way that, that there, yeah I think that there is um not even a tension, what, uh, a contradiction here, right? Because on the one hand, they want, you know, they, reform groups and whatever, um, will be all over, you know, uh, books by, you know, former prisoners. Um, they'll talk about, you know, George Jackson in their pieces. They'll make references to Attica and what have you. And then on the other hand, well, we can't believe anything that prisoners say. Right. Well, not enough time has passed for them in order for them to believe these, you know, uh, incarcerated people. So I'm kind of like, you know, I'm at the point where, yeah, I'm calling bullshit. Right. And Mm -hmm. uh, I have given um, several interviews. Um, Some of them I've been, you know, more happy with than others. Um, And in part because of the way that um, reporters, not journalists, reporters tend to distort, uh, what is happening on the ground and the measure that they're using to try to understand a story that they don't have 
very much understanding of, you know, and those things to me are, yeah, that may be the standard in the industry. And that may be the thing that, you know, you're supposed to do. But questioning that, I think, is also part of doing this kind of work. And Mm -hmm. it's not going to make you popular. It's probably not going to win you any prizes. Um, Mm -hmm. It may not even get you more jobs. I mean, and that's the thing that people don't want to risk is being completely, you know, alienated within um, an, an industry that they work in. And I get that. I get that. And then the rest of us who are, you know, either doing podcasts or writing stories or doing both and uh, what have you are left with the responsibility of clearing things up. Right. (laughs) And basically trying to set the record straight and defending um, incarcerated people and defending, you know, what it is that they have to say and and have said and saying, look, it's, they don't have a reason to lie. Like, what the hell is the reason why a prisoner would lie? Now, think about that. When you think about that and you think that about that vis-a-vis, you know, the incentive that prison officials have to lie, it's like, mm-hmm. what benefit does a warden get by confirming a strike? Where Where's the benefit for the warden? None. None. Zero. If a warden says that there's a strike, he basically has admitted that he has lost control of the prison that he is charged with overseeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Like the incentives just aren't there. Uh, and, and I mean, it's also like, again, it's like, you, uh, just, I don't know. I, I just keep going back <laughs> to, so I just much. keep going back to like, I think the incentives part is, is important, but I just keep coming back to like, we like as a society have been conditioned to believe like at default that these are people who cannot be trusted. Like the Mm -hmm. fact that we even have to talk about incentives seems absurd to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And and I think that that goes back to the point I was making earlier about the conceptual work that needs to happen. Um, You know, Angela Davis talked about, you know, uh, severing, you know, the concept of crime and punishment in part because, you know, who we perceive as, you know, having committed a crime or being criminal or is criminalized um, is work that happens in our heads. So when people say, you know, inmate or prisoner um, or what have you, you know, there are associations that are happening in their head automatically before you say anything, before you say someone's race or if that even comes up. And for most people that equals, well, that's a bad person. They get put over here in this category. And, you know, beyond that, there's nothing that they can say. I mean, but that's something that they, you know, we as a society have been conditioned over, you know, a very long time to believe everything that the police has to say. I mean, we have shows about this, you know, it's like, it's just, it's everywhere. The police are to be believed. That's the authority. Those are the people that, you know, we turn to when we're in danger and what have you. So we have a romantic idea of what, you know, these people are supposed to do and be and symbolize in our society. And I think that, you know, that is, that is part of the work is, you know, dislodging that in our brains, in our thinking, in our language, in our conversation, and by extension, you know, in how we write and, you know, uh, 
further discuss these issues um, around, you know, prison rebellions, uh, carcerality, and um, and what have you. I think that you know the the prison strike upsets all of those tidy little notions that people mm-hmm. have about what is going on in prisons, who prisoners are, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, ooh, prisoners are asking for Pell Grants, you know? And right. they're like, well, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> Our thinking is that prisoners don't care about education, right? right. So, right. I mean, the cognitive dissonance for a lot of people around the prison strike, I think is reflected in the shitty reporting that's going on. Yeah. It definitely is. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, like, like we started this conversation, like it's it's <laughs> just amazing to me how much this action just, it literally lights the whole ball up. You know, it's like every little part of it is, is related back to it. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Do we want to spend a few moments talking about Devin's piece or do we want to come back um, at a later time and talk about maybe that piece and a couple of other ones that we like? Because I think that um, in the coming days, other people are going to be putting things out or, you know, we yeah. can spend more yeah, we time. we can do that for sure. Um, I think that would yeah, be good. I mean, and we can like give yeah. them, we can give those pieces like their own space. Yeah. Like yeah. I feel like, you know, like I took, I took thorough notes on Devin's piece because I thought it w- it raised a lot of issues that are mm-hmm. just so important for us yeah. to, you know, discuss yeah. um, much further. And I'm actually going to be using that piece um, in a uh, prison strike teaching I'm doing next week. So you know, it's, um, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, we can definitely do that. There's a number of good pieces that are out there. And I think that that's also one of the important things to highlight is that amidst all of the garbage that is being written by people who just have no business really writing about prisons is that there are people that write about prisons and these issues very well and are abolitionists and, um, we're mm-hmm. doing that and it's just being kind of overshadowed right now. But I think that those there, pieces are the ones that will stand the test of time. Absolutely. And there are incarcerated people yeah. that are writing about these things, you know, mm-hmm. as we speak absolutely. or we'll be writing about them in the months and years to come. And, you know, yep. there are publications and zines that are publishing those things or will be publishing those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, I think, an important uh you know, another important element of understanding um, how you have to approach the story, if you will, um, of the prison strike, that we're in this for the long haul, um, mm-hmm. that the story doesn't end because the strike ends on September 9th, that the struggle continues and that people are going to continue um, advocating for, fighting for, um you know, demanding um, these things on behalf of prisoners. And uh, yeah, any any final thoughts? Uh, no, yeah, I mean, I think just uh, go no, ahead. Yeah, you. No, you, you. Uh, <laughs> no, you. Um, I think that, um, you know, just that there's a lot, there's a lot that's still going to be coming out, right? And so I think that it's important for people to understand that is, that, you know, some of the best Brian wrote some people should go back and look at Brian's writing in 2016. They really should. Cause he wrote like yep. over a dozen pieces on the prison strike and they were all very interesting, but 
yep. the thing about that when I was revisiting some of that work was noting that a lot of it came out in October or November or December. And this was about an action that took place starting on September 9th, right? So like mm -hmm. the important thing for people to understand is that this is not a story that gets told in a 24-hour news cycle, nor is it a story that's going to be told over the the three weeks, basically, that this strike is going on. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be something that is going to continue to be told, and we're going to learn more and more. And there's going to be investigative work that is done, even if it's not done by these publications. Um, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of a lot of information that will still come out about that. So I think people that's one of, one of the things I've noticed about the news cycle on this is that they're still writing pieces, but it's not as feverish as it was in the first few days. Mm -hmm. And I think um, and some of those pieces that are coming out are starting to get a little better because they're people that are actually putting some investment into writing something as opposed to just, you know, well, they're following trying to report Twitter, the news. So, yeah. you know, they're <laughs> reading all of your tweets and retweets, um, you know, about the, the crappy ass reporting on this. So that's um, you're doing you're doing a public service there and, and you know, helping people get jobs. They should be paying you. Um, Brian. Yeah, um, I guess just to keep it brief, like I think the last thing I would say is I think I saw you say this on on Twitter, Kim, earlier, and and I think I've heard you both say it. Um, you know, since I've known you, <laughs> but I mean, I, I think I think what I what I, you said on Twitter earlier was that um, you know this isn't going to be the last action. Uh, you know. This isn't the only time prisoners are resisting. Uh, this isn't like, uh, you know, I guess to people who are paying attention to these actions, um, to journalists who want to do better covering them and elevating these voices, uh, I think it's important to understand that, like, you know, you're late, like, get to work. Um, but also, like, you don't need to just look for you know, you don't need to just sit and wait for the next prison strike to be announced. Like people are resisting. Right. We've talked on this show many times with Victoria Law with with a bunch of people. Um, you know, prisoner resistance goes on all the time, um, and I think it's the same. You know, again, like going back to to journalism, like and even just, I mean, good activism and just being a good like person. Like you just need to like make the inroads and, and build relationships and trust and like listen to people and work with them. And, and like, you know, uh, now is the time to do it. Cause, cause this isn't like the end, like September 9th, isn't going to be like, you know, they're going to close right. a curtain on prison activism. So mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. Absolutely. The, the final thing I'll say is that, um, and, and I don't know why we're giving, you know, tips to people, um, you know, we can, uh, <laughs> we really yeah. need to, we really need to be paid for our labor, but um, if, you know, they're just waiting for a sensational story, and I think that's part of what 
happen in the first few days mm. is that this was really titillating for mm. a lot of people. It's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Is there going to be, you know, a riot? Is there going to be a rebellion? And mm. it just shows the level of ignorance around mm. um, prison resistance and particularly this action, which they have said multiple times, and I hate that they even have to emphasize this, um, that it's a peaceful protest, mm -hmm. right? That this is a peaceful action. Um, and, you know, not going to commissary, that's a peaceful thing. But the state interprets mm -hmm. that as an affront, right, to their very existence. So they respond with violence. So understanding how to unpack those, you know, different things that are happening um, in terms of power on the inside and you, the way that prisoners are basically, you know, mobilizing and organizing, as I said earlier on Twitter, across, you know, um, barbed wire, across cinder block walls and, you know, across the ocean now um, is absolutely incredible absolutely incredible when they're facing the amount of, you know, uh, retaliation um, and in a lot of cases charges that they are for even hinting at uh, being part of this, uh, of this action. And I think we're, we're going to learn a lot more in the months and years to come that the yeah. real story of what comes out of this it, a lot of people may be participating in different ways that they can't talk about right now. Yeah. And I think that that's something mm -hmm. that we need to respect. Yep. I agree. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for thank you. the conversation, for allowing me to vent um, because I needed <laughs> to vent. Uh <laughs> I think we all did. <laughs> but also, yeah. for, you know, just helping me think through some of these things. I mean, um, it's just, you know, it's frustrating. There's just so much coming at us every single, you know, every single day. And um, there's a yeah. lot of stuff going on around um, the prison strike and around prison resistance in general. Um, so I really, I, re I really appreciate having both of you, um, you know, for what, an hour and a half almost. That's like incredible. Yeah, oh, I good, mean, good appreciate having you guys. Wow, yeah, almost two hours. Wow, we haven't done that in a long time. I know. No. All right. Well, thank you both. We will talk right. soon. Cool. Take care. Bye. Bye.